Good morning, Hatfield family. It is so good to see you in this space today. And maybe in your house, there's kids running all over the place. Gather them, bring them, say, we're going to have church this morning and we're going to worship the Lord. And how wonderful it is that over the past few weeks, that with Pastor Louis, we've been journeying in the book of Acts and we've seen that God is unstoppable and he's able to make a way where there seems to be no way. And we're about to worship the Lord and you're going to see some singers and musicians that are just wholeheartedly giving their love and affection to the Lord. Don't just sit back. I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging you to engage with the Lord today. You are on the worship team. Your audience are not people around you, but your audience is God. Your audience is one. And as we worship Him, as we put our eyes and attention on Him, say, Lord, I want to engage with you. Holy Spirit, flow through me so that I can love the Lord my God wholeheartedly with all my heart, soul, will, mind and strength this morning. So I pray today that as we invite precious Holy Spirit into our spaces today, we say, Holy Spirit, come, manifest yourself, reveal yourself to us as we adore, as we enthrone and as we lift up the Lord in our spaces today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's joyfully worship Him. You lift us up on 
to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no
Yes, Lord, we just want to lift up your name today and exalt you and proclaim that you are our God and that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you're on the throne and that our trust is in you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that we are seated with you in heavenly places and that we are viewing these situations from that perspective and that we are acting, Lord, because of we know that you are the ruler and the Lord and therefore our actions reflect that. And we pray that you'd help us to do that better and more and we thank you for that lord we love you we just so thankful for your working in our lives and for your presence with us today in jesus name amen amen well it's so great to be with you and uh, let's continue to worship the lord this morning with our tithes and our offerings and uh, right now as we always do the prompts will be on your screen and uh, just please follow uh, the directions, uh, whether you give through EFT or you give through uh, using of SnapScan, uh, just thank you for your faithfulness in giving. So won't you get ready to give right now? Well, today's message is entitled Unhindered Moving. And uh, I want to talk to you about how the gospel in the book of Acts was not hindered by the, some of the dynamics of the day so that we can look at it and say, how do we make sure the gospel moves in every one of our lives and through our lives unhindered in the days that we are in. And I want to start by saying to you this, this statement, that you're either going to move or you're going to be moved. In times of change, like we are living in right now, there are lots of things changing and happening around us, and we are being forced to move in, in different ways. And, and I use the word move as in our lives have to be adapted to, to the realities of, of COVID-19 and lockdown and everything. And um, while we may not have the choice of choosing, you know, what restrictions are imposed on us, for example, we can choose how we respond to that and what we do with it. And um, if we don't move things, then we will be moved by things. And uh, what I mean by that also is that, you know, it's, 
so many things right now that we can't do, for instance, in our personal lives, in our work lives, for instance, in, as churches. There's many things that we can't do. And it could be quite easy to just say, oh, well, uh, then I'm not going to do anything because I can't do it the way I used to be able to do it. I'm not going to do it at all. But then we are being moved. We are not moving things. When we decide, look, I can't, like we had to as churches say, we can't gather in person now, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop gathering. We're going to find alternative ways. We're going to make other plans. We're going to become better at doing online. And how do we grow in that space? And, and that is when we, when we do that, we are moving things. We are not just being moved. And I want to encourage you to remember today that, that you are a person that has been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to move things. To not just be moved. To not just go along with the world and with the culture and the developments of the world. But to be a person that influences, that is an influencer of the way things happen in this world. And, and that's the Great Commission. And I want to remind you of the Great Commission and just frame it in this, this language today. In Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, Jesus told his disciples and all of us, he said to us, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in a sense, the book of Acts is the record of how those early disciples responded to this commission of Jesus, how they lived out this commission. And our quest in this time is to say, how do we live out this great commission? And we are, these are times of significant change. Things are changing around us all the time. But again, I want to say, you are either a, a person that causes change or you are being changed. But we are called by God. He said, all authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, you go and make disciples. You go and change the world. And that surely is what that early church did, in, um, as it's recorded in the book of Acts. They changed the world. They began a movement that has changed the world and it is still changing the world. They weren't just being changed by the world. They were changing the world. And you and I have that same calling to be those that changes the world. Um, we either change the world or it changes us. There's no middle ground. There's no place where you can live sort of, you know, in a neutral state where you're not affected by the world or you're not affecting the world. You are in, in, in either camp. And probably in our lives, sometimes we are in the change camp, sometimes we are being changed. But the calling of the Lord Jesus on the church is to be the ones that changes the world, not to be changed by the world. Not to live to the world's patterns, but to get the world to live to the patterns of the kingdom. And that's the calling of the church. That's your calling and that's my calling. Is to, is to go into this world and to confront the patterns of this world and to replace them with the patterns of God's kingdom as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I will remind you of Romans 12, where Paul writes to the church in Rome. Um, 
in, that was in that significant seat of power, the seat of world power at that time. And he said to them, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Set yourself apart for God and for his purposes. This is your true and proper worship. This is how you exalt him, how you, how you honor him, how you make his name great, is by living a life separated unto him. And then he says these important words, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And we spoke about it earlier in our series that how we as the church are the manifestation of the kingdom of God that will fully come one day. But we live in that kingdom now as if it has come in its fullness because we live under the lordship of Jesus. We live with Jesus on the throne. We live seated with Christ in heavenly places. So therefore, we do not live according to the patterns of this world, but we challenge the patterns of this world. We, we challenge the things of this world and we consistently bring change. And I know it's so easy at times like this to feel overwhelmed when there's such significant changes that are happening and things that are feeling like they're pushing us around all the time. It's, it's quite easy to feel overwhelmed, to feel like, you know, <clears throat> does it even matter? Does it even matter that I try and do things the right way as I understand them to be? Does it even make a difference? I know medical professionals can feel that way at the moment because there's just the stream of people that are, that are getting ill and so many that are dying and, and, and doctors and nurses and other medical professionals, you know, I've heard from them and they're just saying, we just feel like, are we really making a difference? It's just because we, we can't seem to be stemming the tide and stopping this. And, and even as pastors, I know our pastors are, are, and our leaders, our, our shepherds and leaders are sometimes saying, man, does it even help that we, that we try? Because we pray for people and then they, they're ill and, so, and some die. And, and, and yes, we see some breakthroughs, but it's so easy at this time. And even educators and, and students and, and young people, and in many contexts, we can feel, oh man, does it even help that we try? You know, aren't we just putting stress and pressure on ourselves? And, and let's just let it go. And let's just allow things to happen. And, and we'll see where it goes. The problem with that is the moment we do that, we, we will just ride the current of this world. And then we're going to end up in a place that we probably won't like, and then we can't complain about it because we didn't do anything. We just went with it. Our calling as people of God is to always be working to establish the kingdom in every context. And that means to, to, to put God's order in every place. The kingdom is the place where God rules. And where God rules, there his order is established. There the pattern of the kingdom. Life is lived according to kingdom patterns. But that happens because there are people that live in response to the kingdom patterns. That have the kingdom patterns inside of them and live that out. And become the, 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 the obstacles for the chaos and the death of the world. And they work against it every day consistently. Little by little, sometimes big steps, but a lot of small steps every day. Just standing and saying, 
It's, it's not going to happen in my space. The chaos of the, of, of the world and the patterns of the world is not going to come into my space. You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will not allow the chaos and the death of the world to come into our lives. We are going to hold this space for the kingdom. And as we hold our space for the kingdom, it becomes possible from there to move out and start extending the kingdom into other places where God gives us influence and opportunity. And that's our call right now. You are either changing the world or you're being changed by the world. And in a time like this, this is, is even more pronounced. So I want to talk a little bit with you today about some of the patterns of the world that we saw the early church in the book of Acts had, had to confront and how they dealt with those patterns first internally and also externally uh, in their own midst and in their own hearts. And then they had to deal with that in their culture and beyond so that the gospel could keep on advancing and moving unhindered. And there's four patterns of the world that I want to spend a little bit of time on today and, and mention to you. And, and these are the, the patterns of persecution, the patterns of prejudice, the pass, pass, patterns of excessive patriotism, and the patterns of power. These were all patterns that were present in the world at that day. And the function of these patterns were to keep things to keep the status quo, to keep the powers that were in, an influence, to keep their power, to keep things organized and structured according to the pattern of the world. But when the Lord Jesus came and he said to the disciples, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. What he was saying is, you've got to learn some new patterns and teach new patterns to people. So I'm putting you in direct confrontation with the patterns of the world. And you're going to have to confront those patterns so that the patterns of God's will will be established on the earth and people will begin to live in God's favor and in God's blessing and, and the way God intended life to be. But you're going to have to confront those patterns. So let's look at them individually. The first one is the pattern of persecution. Now persecution is defined by the Merriam-Webster dictionary as the act or practice of persecuting especially those who differ in origin, religion or social outlook. And uh, we know that the church, early church, was experiencing persecution. Grow, it increased as they were moving, uh, you know, and first the 3,000, then the 5,000, and then they, more and more people started joining them. And we've read about it already the last couple of weeks, how the, the persecution started increasing on them. And, and we must understand that persecution is a pattern that the world tries to preserve its power. The, the, the Open Doors, an organization that works with persecuted Christians, um, uses this definition. They say, Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world because of one's identification with Christ Jesus. And certainly, the, the book of Acts records a lot for us of how these early Christians were starting to push the boundaries and confronting the, the powers of their day. And the first reaction was that, that there was persecution coming their way. And they were starting to be told to keep quiet. Remember, we read that about Peter and John. You know, stop talking about Jesus. Stop telling people about Jesus. And, and from every side, they were starting to feel persecuted. And we know later, you know, by the times of Nero, Christians were being burnt um, alive. And Christians were being put in the circus with wild animals to, to eat them. And, and they were being killed. And we know Paul became a persecutor. And the persecution was growing in, among the Christians. And we're living in a day where there's many Christians right now across the world that are being physically persecuted and tortured for their faith. Many, in many different places. But even in, in some of the developed world cultures, 
Culture is becoming increasingly uh, nervous, let me put it like that, with Christianity. Increasingly, they are beginning to oppose Christianity. And more and more, we are experiencing this what, hostility from the world towards us as Christians. And I believe as Christians, in the 21st century, in, in this time that you and I are living in, we're going to have to become far more adept at, at learning how to deal with persecution. Learning to understand persecution, this animosity that the world is showing towards us, this rejection, this ridicule that is growing of Christians. We, we have to become, say, how do we deal with it? And, and, and the greatest thing is to look at the scripture. Now, I don't have time for it today, but one of the greatest uh, stories of how to deal with persecution in a hostile environment is Daniel and his friends. And if you want to, it'll be great. And, and, and I know we have looked at it in the past, and we can certainly look at it again in the future. How to deal with, with persecution in a hostile environment. Look at Daniel and his friends and how they dealt with it. But we know that Jesus is our prime example of how to deal with persecution. And in Luke 6, verse 22, he said the following to us. He said, blessed are you when men hate you. When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Blessed are you. I mean, it's a, it's a bizarre statement. It, it doesn't, you know, when you're in those circumstances, I don't know if you've experienced it ever. I'm sure you have in your workplace or family or somewhere where people are just, you know, ridiculing you a bit, you know, pulling their faces at you, just thinking you're ridiculous because of your faith, and they begin to exclude you. They don't invite you anymore. Uh, they can even say hateful things about you. Whenever It doesn't feel like a blessing, but Jesus says when that happens, you know that you're confronting the patterns of the world. I've certainly experienced that in my life in numbers of occasions where I was in context with, with unchristian people, and my, just my presence confronted them. I remember in my military service days, the guys would always be fighting with me about why um, I, you know, I'm not sleeping with a, with a girlfriend. And they would be always fighting with me because, you know, they'd carry on and do whatever they wanted to do. And they'd be fighting with me. And, um, and one day I, I had enough of it. And I, I stood up in the middle of a, a tent that we were in. And I said to them, listen, stop arguing with me. I'm not the one telling you not to do this. It's your own conscience that is stirred because I don't do it. And uh, then they, they actually left me alone after that. I think I've told you the story before, possibly. But I'm sure you've experienced that. I've, you've experienced where, where people are, don't feel comfortable with your presence because the fact that you don't do certain things challenges them that they are doing it because it means you don't have to do it that way. And, and that means we're challenging the patterns of the world. And that's part of our job. That's our function. We will challenge the patterns of the world. And there will be persecution. Acts 8 verse 1. Uh, Acts 8 is when the great persecution began against the church. And I want to read for you verse 1, 2, 3. 1, 2, and 3. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Because he was stoned, remember, at the end of Acts 7. Because he stood up for Jesus. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. And like I said, there's Christians right now in the world that is experiencing this. But increasingly, even in our cultures, we are experiencing the, the challenge from the world. How do we deal with persecution where Jesus said? How do we take that forward? And we see that in the book of Acts, how Stephen, for instance did exactly what Jesus did and followed Jesus' example. And, and when he was being stoned, 
It says in verse, Acts 7, verse 59 to 60, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And what we see here is like Jesus. Remember when Jesus was hung on the cross and persecuted for his statements that he was the Messiah. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't act in the same spirit. He had the opposite spirit. He, he, he'd had no desire to exact revenge on those people and to get them back. But he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Because in a sense, we as Christians have to know that our very existence in this world opens us up for persecution. If we're living the gospel, we will f follow some kind of pressure from the world. And we have no desire for the world to, to experience that. But we stand in the gap. We pray in grace. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21 to 23, Peter says the following. This you were called. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those who judges justly. We understand the world will persecute us, but our highest authority is the Lord. And we want to make sure that we are standing right and righteous before him and follow this example of Christ. So how do we deal with persecution, with humility, with grace, with faith? We stand in the Lord and we say, Lord, you are our defender. You are our God. And we put our lives in your hands, not in the hands of the persecutor, but in your hands. But may it be that as Christians, we never begin to become the persecutors. That we will not return persecution for persecution and begin to be persecute others. But that we learn to stand for truth. I'm not saying we, we just become beaten by everybody and, and we don't advocate for our rights and things. We do that, but we do that in the right and in the proper way. So they had to deal with a pattern of persecution. Persecution right there could have stopped the spreading of the gospel. But these early believers were able to push through that. And confront that pattern and not let that pattern find a home in their own hearts, not become the persecutors, but to actually in humility and grace and in the power of the spirit, they kept pushing forward beyond the persecution. The second pattern that they confronted that I want to mention is the pattern of prejudice. Prejudice, according to Merriam-Webster, is an irrational attitude of hostility directed against an individual, a group, a race or their supposed characteristics. Because these Christians were beginning to really look different than the, the world and were confronting the patterns of the world, more and more people were being prejudiced against them and were saying, oh, the Christians. And so often they were looking for excuses. And one of the, one of the ways Luke writes the book of Acts is he shows to us how often Christians were, were, were blamed for, for upheavals and riots and, and, and were taken before the courts of the day. But every time the court found them not guilty. That they were not doing what the world was saying they were doing. But yet the world was prejudiced against them. If you said you were a Christian, they, 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 they had certain viewpoints. And they, they, they just felt that, that you know, unrealistically they, they had just bad expectations on you. And the, and the Christians had to confront this prejudice. Um, in, a, in a study done by Julia Marshall and Yimang Wing uh, that is uh, uh, cited in a CNN article, uh, it says that 
prejudice is rooted in people's dislike of broken patterns. You see, we all live and we want the world to fit into our order. We want the world to make sense to us. We want it to be ordered in a certain way. And one of the ways we order the world is we, 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 we feel more comfortable with people that are like me, ethnically, racially, gender-based, whatever. The people that are like me, the more they like me, the more I feel I know them. And because they like me, I know them, I can trust their, their actions, I understand what they're going to do, and they just make a lot more sense for me. And so when I live with people in a little homogenous kind of environment, if I live with people that are like me, my world feels more ordered, there's less cultural challenges, and then I feel like life is easier. And, and we do that. And that uh, is common to all people. And these Christian people certainly had to confront that in their own lives, first of all. They couldn't confront the pattern of prejudice in the world if they didn't make sure first that the prejudice in their own lives were being, were, were being challenged. Because Jesus said in John 7 verse 24, he said to these apostles, he said, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. There is a way to judge. There is no place where you cannot judge in life what is right and what is wrong. You always have to judge. But you must use the correct measures of judgment. And one of the incorrect measures is appearance. Is to just because somebody looks different than me or, or behaves different than me in certain ways doesn't mean that I, I'm prejudiced towards them. And the Christians knew they had to learn how to deal with that in their own space. And, and one of the things prejudice does for us, because we, we want to feel comfortable uh, and it's just a general human thing, we want life to be ordered. And like I said, we prefer to be with people that are like me. We, we then begin to sort of become blind to people that are different to us. Because we don't understand them. They don't fit our frame of reference sometimes. Their culture, their behavior is just a little bit, you know, I don't, I don't know why they do that. That doesn't make sense to me. And therefore, it's like we don't see them. You, you get prejudice that is overt, where people actually, you know, go out against other people to be prejudiced towards them. But a lot of prejudice is actually just this, I, I don't see, I don't understand them, so I don't see them. It's like you, 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 you don't, want to open up your life to these people because they're different. And they confront your patterns. They, they, they bring broken patterns. They break your patterns. And this is what we saw that happened in the book of Acts also. In Acts 6 verse 1. In those days, when the, the, the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. It's not that these Hebrew believers didn't want to provide food for the, for the Greek believers, uh, widows. It's like they just didn't see them. They just didn't attend to them as easily as they could to their own because of this pattern reality. But right there, the Lord confronted them. And throughout those days of the book of Acts, the Lord kept confronting this pattern of prejudice in the church's life and in the church's existence and kept on, you know, Pushing them beyond that and saying, no, there's more, there's more. And remember in, 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 um, in uh, Luke, uh, Acts 10, uh, where that story is where, where Cornelius, who was the Roman uh, centurion, was, was a godly man, was calling out to, to God, to know God. And then the Lord said to him, there's a man at Simon's house. And if you send people to go fetch him, he'll tell you about who I am. And he'll introduce the gospel to you. But in that moment, for the gospel to advance, it had to step over the boundaries of prejudice. Both this Roman man had to not be prejudiced against the Jewish man. And the Jewish man, Peter, had to not be prejudiced against the, the Roman soldier. But there was 
things in Peter's own life that the way he was taught as a Jewish man. And so the Lord had to appear to him in that vision. And the Lord said to him in that vision with all the animals and said, Lord said to him, eat. And he said, I can't eat all of this. God said to him, don't you call, un- don't you, what I've called clean, you cannot call common or unclean. And Peter was puzzled, didn't know what this meant. And then while he was praying and with the Lord, the men arrived at his house. The Lord said to him, go with them. And he went to Cornelius' house and he spoke to Cornelius. And in that moment, he understood. And in Acts 10 verse 34, Peter says, so Peter opened his mouth. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter's boundaries were broken in that moment, and he realized that the gospel is for all people. He stepped over the boundary of prejudice. And you and I are called today to confront the patterns of prejudice in this world. And right now, there's so much that, that we're having to deal with. And yes, our culture wants to deal with prejudice, but it's doing it in a way that, that ultimately creates more prejudice. It's only in the kingdom's patterns that we can really deal with prejudice. Where the scripture tells us so clearly, and we know this so well, um, in, uh, in many places, that we are one before God. And James writes to believers, Jewish believers. Remember, we spoke about James a, a while ago. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must, know, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes and comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on, on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? You know, the reason we would want to let the rich man come in and feel honored is because that fits our pattern that... The rich man has something to give us. The rich man is an answer to life. It's a, it's a solution. It's something better. So we would feel tempted to, to look at the rich man and honor, but look at the poor man, which, which is a challenge, which is, that's not how life, I don't want life to work that way. That's a, that's a failure in the pattern almost. And, and, and I want to belittle the, the poor man. And he says, no, then you are just serving, using the pattern of the world. You've got to confront that pattern. You've got to live a different life. And may we in these days, and thank you for the church that is so uh, being led by the Spirit to confront these patterns in our world. The pattern of prejudice. The next one, and the next two I'm going to go through quite quickly. But the pattern of excessive patriotism. Or actually we could call it nationalism. Patriotism is a good thing. Patriotism is defined by the dictionary as devoted love, support, and defense of one's country and national loyalty. It's, it's good to be a proudly South African. It's good to be you know, a proud Zimbabwean or a proud Nigerian or a, a proud American. Or It's good to be that. It's good to have a love for your country. It's, it's, the scripture says, you know, pray for your nation that it may go well and that the peace of the Lord. And, and wherever we find ourselves, there we want life to prosper and God's kingdom to come and it's, it's appropriate to have a sense of, of, of pride in our place. But we must always remember I'm not firstly a citizen of this nation I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. My being a South African must serve my being a child of the king of kings. Not the other way around. Sometimes we get it wrong and our, and our, and our kingdom citizenship begins to serve our national citizenship. And the problem with patriotism, and we see a lot of it happening today, is it begins to move over into what we generally call nationalism or excessive patriotism. And, and that's defined as the policy or doctrine 
of asserting the interests of one's own nation viewed as separate from the interests of other nations or the common interests of all nations. And it, and it actually moves beyond that and it goes into a place of superiority where, where we believe us and our nation and our people or our ethnic group, we are superior to everybody else. And it's our right to dominate everybody else. And, to, and, and, and the world can only be a good world if we have our way and everybody else must become like us. And when that happens, we, we step into a place that is demonic in, the, in, in, its, in its very core and nature. And it goes against what God says in Colossians 3, verse 11, for instance, and elsewhere, it also says it in the scripture. Here, here in the kingdom of God, here, the patterns of the kingdom is, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's not saying those categories don't exist anymore. He's just saying those categories aren't the primary determination of our lives anymore. I cannot look at a person that's a different nationality than me and, and think that I'm better than them because of my nationality. But the moment I do that, the gospel becomes hindered. The gospel cannot spread. In its truth, it cannot move beyond this boundary of, of nationalism and excessive patriotism. And we've seen that happen. And unfortunately, often Christianity has been abused by that national spirit. And it's become something wrapped up in that. And then the gospel actually gets, you know, twisted. It doesn't really build the kingdom of God. It serves other purposes. But we have to, in our day, continually as Christians, recognize that there's this pattern in this world of people wanting to, to exalt themselves above others. And, and this national pride and this looking after ourselves and, 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 and only ourselves. And we as Christians go against that. The reason the gospel kept advancing is because these Jewish believers, and remember they were Jewish believers. If you want to talk about nationalism, just understand these Jewish believers. They came from a background of nationalism, of, of this national pride and of actually believing. And they had scriptural backing, they thought for it, that said that they were better than everybody else. That the salvation would come through them to the world. They didn't understand what that really meant. But these Christians were able to make that switch and adapt their minds. And the gospel moved from Jerusalem and Judea. If, it was, if they didn't overcome the boundary, the, the, the pattern of nationalism, excessive patriotism, the gospel would have stayed right there in Jerusalem and Judea. But it moved to Antioch. And from Antioch it went all over the world because they broke that boundary. We need to confront those boundaries in our own lives and in the world around us. Do not let your Christianity become something that serves your nationality. Do not allow Christianity to become the tool for the power of political power of the day. We will not stand for that. Our faith is holy unto the Lord and Him we serve first. And when we get that right, we confront the last pattern that I want to talk about. And that's the pattern of power. Political power. Ultimately, the greatest power in the world to keep things the same, to keep the patterns, is political power. Governmental power. And, and what governments do, and there's a good to it, it's, it is, is they exercise power that, that, that builds patterns that makes life governable and makes life uh, livable for their citizens. The, the word power, again in the Merriam-Webster, is defined as the possession of control, authority, or influence over others. How do we influence? And that's, 
you know, the stuff of politics. Politicians is how do we influence power, get the people to do what we want them to do right now. We live in huge political powers at the time. And how do we get a, a whole nation to behave in a certain way so that we can fight COVID and, and what needs to be given, what is free rights and, and what needs to be forced on people and all of this stuff. And that's a pattern in this world and a power. And, that, and that, in the world, that power takes on a certain pattern and it's exercised in certain ways. And the gospel confronts that power. The gospel believes in power that it, we need to be empowered. God has power. God has authority. But he exercises his authority and his power in a very different way. You and I are Christians not because God forced us to be Christian, but because he won our hearts. There's a different way the kingdom expresses power. And it's more powerful than any power you will find on this earth. More powerful than, than communism was at his heyday or capitalism can ever be or any power is God's power. But God's power comes across as a very different pattern. And so ultimately what we saw in the gospel is because these believers broke through the, the, the patterns of persecution, the patterns of prejudice, and the patterns of, of excessive patriotism, that put them in a position where they actually had the, the authority, the power to confront the highest authorities of the day. And few people showed us that better than Paul. How Paul continued to confront the authorities of the day. In Acts 4 verse 7 before Paul did it, we read about, and we've spoken about this in the last couple of weeks, where, where they took Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. And that was a power base of the day. The Sanhedrin had power and authority to govern the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. And these, these guys were starting to confront that power. And so they were brought before them. And, and they said to, uh, they, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? They wanted to say, what power do you think you have to do this? Our power is more than your power. But remember that the, the early Christians prayed, and, and then they said this. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? What they were saying is, you've got to recognize it's your authority is not the highest authority in our lives. And that makes the world really scared of Christians. When Christians stand up and say, you can do nothing to us, because your authority is not the greatest authority. You can, and again, Jesus allowed them to kill him. The disciples allowed, were tortured. But they said, you can do that to us. But we don't fear the one who can harm us physically. We fear the, the God that is in heaven. That's where our ultimate allegiance lies. And when you live, and I live like that, the world has no hold on us. And we confront the powers of the day head on. And that's why why, why Paul, when he was taken into prison, and first of all by the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, uh, the, the authorities of the Jews, they wanted to you know, persecute him because he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles and, and he was breaking all their patterns. He, and then Paul said, you know, I've done nothing against you. I've done nothing to harm you. I've not spoken against my own people. But they kept on persisting. Then he said, well, then I call on Caesar. And we read that in Acts 25. Paul answered, I, and from verse 10 to 11, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, so as you yourself know very well. However, I am guilty of doing anything. If, I am, if, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. And he called to the highest earthly authority because he wanted to confront 
the highest earthly authority, with the highest authority in the universe, which is our God. And you and I, you may not appear before the highest courts of the land, and of, but every day we're confronting the world and its patterns that gives its power. And if we do that, if we continue to be faithful, if we recognize the highest authority in our lives, which is the Lord, we will confront these patterns and we will feel the resistance. We will feel the persecution, the prejudice. We will experience going, even people thinking that we are not proud of our nation, going against excessive national pride. And we will ultimately be made to think that we are going against the world, and we're not against the world. We are for this world. We live in this world for this world. We love this world and the people of the world. Not the patterns of the, of the world, but we, we want to see the world saved. We're not here to break down. We are here to build God's kingdom. And that replaces the patterns, but there's that confrontation that happens. But as we, as we allow the Spirit of God to empower us, enable us to confront and move beyond those patterns, the gospel will continue to spread. So I want to ask you as I, as I finish, what patterns are you confronting today? Of these four patterns, what are you experiencing today? Are you moving things or are you being moved? Are you changing things or are you being changed by the world? You are an agent of change. And don't think that it's just little old, old me, what can I do? Every one of us in our context, big and small, we are the change agents. And we need to confront these patterns of persecution, patterns of prejudice, patterns of, patterns of excessive uh, patriotism, and patterns of power. And it may look very different in every one of our contexts, but by the Spirit, the gospel can advance. And then the gospel will move in our day and not be hindered and be unhindered. I want to pray with you. These are difficult matters. I wish I could just stand before you on a Sunday and say, oh, you know, let's just trust God. Everything's going to be fine. We're not going to face any problems. We're not going to have any difficulties. But that's not what we see in the book of Acts. But ultimately, we are secure in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's pray together. Ask God for his grace and his strengthening upon us. Lord, we come before you today. And I pray for every one of us. If we are feeling right now that, that this is too much, that we are overwhelmed, that we, we're struggling to, to stand, I pray for a moving of your spirit, for an encouragement, a strengthening of your spirit right now, so that every one of us can stand. As Paul says, when you've done all to stand, stand. <clears throat> I pray that in every one of our contexts, in our families, in our, in our, in our friendship groups, in our workplaces, in our places of, of, of leisure, uh, everywhere as citizens of this nation, Lord, that we will be the believers that stand in the truth, Lord, and that overcomes the patterns of this world. And so that through us, the gospel may be spread in this time, in this nation and across the world, and we trust you for that. Our strength is not our own, Lord. Like these disciples, we feel afraid. We feel we feel like, what can we really do? How can we change things? But in you, by your Spirit, we can be empowered to rise above, Lord, and to be ambassadors of the kingdom, to live the kingdom, and to see this world changed, and to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray for that. I pray strengthen us. I pray for every one of us. Tomorrow where we are, 
that we will experience your empowering work wherever we find ourselves to see your kingdom patterns established. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are with us. You said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to reach out to somebody now for a word of prayer or just to talk with somebody, please go to the, the, the as it's indicated on the screens, there's people waiting right now and ready to pray with you, to help you, or you can send an email. And, and please make use of that. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, it's a great opportunity. Just talk to one of them. There's also some announcement coming from both churches in their feeds right now. So stay online. I know at the East they've got a special community challenge they want to put before you. So please stay online and watch that right now. And for both churches, watch the announcements and just some updates for things that are happening. And may the Lord bless you and may the Lord be with you uh, powerfully in this week. Bye. Thank you, Pastor Louis, for that encouraging message about God's unstoppable movement. Today, as a community on a move with God, we highlight our community housing, community groups, and of course, the community challenge. Our community housing provides safe and affordable accommodation, a home away from home, in a Christian environment for students and young professionals. Our housing is on our church premises, conveniently located close to several colleges and shopping centers, such as Menlin. Visit our website on screen for more information. Community groups are a vital part of being a community on the move with God, especially when one can so quickly become isolated right now. And plugging into a smaller group where you are known on a deeper level will take your spiritual growth to the next level. So follow the link on screen to fill in a short form that'll help us connect you to the right group for you. Thanks to your generosity, our Hatfield Warehouse has already been the source of help for many struggling individuals and families since the start of the year. We challenge you to help us keep up this momentum. We currently need appliances like fridges and washing machines, and we also need clothing and shoes for children aged one to 12. If you have an appliance that you'd like to donate, even if it needs minor repairs, please contact us at the email on screen and we are happy to collect it from you. Please drop clothing and food donations off at our reception on weekdays between 8am and 4pm. Thank you for helping us take God's kingdom community to people in need. May God show you His kindness as you share what He's given to you.